Welcome to Season 3 of the Reformed Informants Podcast. We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. I'm TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. Oh man, so much for that summertime series. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, moved into the wintertime series now. Uh, after about a six-month hiatus, uh, we're going to continue as we work our way through uh, the series we're in the middle of now. Man, I, f- I feel like that hiatus would have been cut a lot shorter if I could literally get control of my internet and connectivity, man. You remember we tried to log in multiple times to record, and I'm telling you, it was one thing after another with the internet situation. I, I mean, I, I hate to blame it on that, but should we blame it on Satan? Well, <laughs> well I mean, there's been, there's obviously been a lot of stuff going on, right? Like we've had, uh, you know, my family's been in a time of transition, and we're sorting stuff out on our end, and then you've had a just a just a slam schedule with with uh, the semester you've had on your plate and you know all these different projects and ideas and things we want to get done so we i i mean i can't remember how many times we did this we're like okay we're gonna we're gonna carve out time we're gonna sit down we're gonna record and then the internet's out or like hey we're gonna sit down we're gonna record and then like one of our kids has like a meltdown and they're sick and we're like hey i can't i can't do it tonight and then it's just you know before you know it you turn around it's been it's been half a year and uh it's time to we finally finally even even earlier this week we tried to do it and uh had had some difficulties so uh man i'm excited uh ready to get back in and have have a conversation and uh continue to learn from one another and to to think through these uh these things as we get on the mic man six months i, I felt <laughs> like when we finally hit record and i think i've said this on the on the podcast before and not everybody will get this but it's like Jordan putting on 45, man, and ma- and making his return in Madison Square Garden. Like, that's how I feel right now. I, I cannot believe yeah. that we hit record and are actually doing this thing. Well, I know at one point uh, we we went back and forth and back and forth. We're like, all right, let's just let's just wait till the end of the semester. Let's get to the other side of Thanksgiving, or whatever. And there's like in the back of my mind, I was thinking, are we actually going to get back into it? Like, are, are we just going to like kind of slowly fade and kind of ba- so? It, it, I got to tell you, man, it feels good. It feels good to be back. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this, looking forward to having these conversations. And, uh, yeah, let's let's hop in. Yeah, man. Well, it's been a while. It's been a while for us. It, it's been a while for our listeners. Um, we want to thank you guys for tracking with us over the last half year. We've, from time to time, just checked in. Um on our, our, our podcast hosting site to, to see if there was any activity. And we, we've seen that there have been uh, hundreds and hundreds of downloads actually of episodes over the last six months. And then we've seen a lot of people add us on Twitter, follow us um, and like us on Facebook and those things. So we, we've, you know, by God's grace, actually had some numerical growth to the podcast, even while we've been, you know, stagnant and 
man, yeah. that feels terrible well, to be that stagnant, but it's it's been the real deal. Well, it's funny you say that because there's been several who have uh, either discovered the podcast or been able to catch up a little bit during the break because, you know, when you're pumping out hour-long episodes every week and having, like, serious theological conversations, it it does take a little bit of time, I think, for some people to listen and to, to uh, sort through things uh, as they hear it. And, uh, you know, not everybody's able to sit down with their Bibles open for an hour straight uh, to listen to an episode, you know, listen to 15 minutes in the car here or you know 10 minutes while doing uh you know prepping dinner or whatever there and and over the course of time they're able to to get through episodes but uh several have have contacted me said hey i'm almost caught up and uh looking forward to the next one so uh for those of you who are uh continuing uh, in the journey and you're not having a delay. Thank you for continuing with us. But for those of you who have been waiting, uh, we're appreciative of you guys, um, sticking with us and, and, uh, understanding, uh, that this does, it does require time. And of course we're not, uh, we're not compensated. We're not, you know, this is just us working through things on our own conversations that we would have anyway, and just recording it and hoping to encourage and bless others. And, uh, yeah, man, by God's grace, uh, continuing to see, uh, fruit from this and hopefully, uh, by God's grace, we'll continue to do so for, for uh, many years to come. Yeah, so our uh, 2021 A Call for Biblical Worship Summertime Series is now concluding here in the winter of, of 2021. So I think we have this episode, um, at, at least one more, right? Uh, maybe, maybe one or two yeah. more. We'll, we'll probably get those yeah. recorded here this month. And um, then, then I think that you and I, we were discussing over, I, I think, text or maybe when we were uh, on, on the phone the other day, uh, either rolling into soteriology or ecclesiology. So, man, once we wrap this thing up here in the next couple of weeks and, and we start rolling in January, it, it it's about to be on. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are the... the the doctrines that I've really been longing to get to. So excited about that. If you are new to the podcast, maybe you just hopped in and, and you're hearing this. Uh, now we, we typically go through systematic uh, different doctrines, different sets of theology. And we've taken a, a, a short break from that now uh, to focus on a particular aspect of worship and corporate worship. Um, and again, we're going to hop into the next, the next one uh, coming up. Uh, hopefully soteriology at the beginning of the year and we'll see how things go there. So, uh, yeah. So, so Lance, uh, to, to, to continue the conversation and to, to hop us into, uh, this call for biblical worship for part four, uh, what, do, what are we looking at now? What have we considered? Uh, what, what's, what's kind of set the, t- set the stage for the conversation tonight? Yeah. Well, well, so far in our call for biblical worship series, we've, this has really been born out of one, obviously, scripture, uh, what the Bible mm-hmm. says about worship. But we've we've kind of, uh, I think we've kind of confined it to the regulative principle of worship, right? Whatever scripture yeah. explicitly says uh, for Christ followers to do corporately uh, in in worship, um, th- that's kind of how we have navigated what we've done on these particular episodes. So. Um, remember we talked about the regulative principle and the normative principle. And we, again, we landed on the regulative that we will only do what is prescribed in worship. And we're talking specifically corporate worship. We're talking specifically corporate worship on Sunday mornings. Um, and so we've touched on a few of those areas. We've talked about preaching the word. Um, we've talked about, um, what you've put on the guide as seeing the word. We talked about communion and baptism as worship. 
Um, what else have we talked about? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, we've we've looked at preaching the word, we've looked at seeing the word, and, and continuing in this conversation, like you mentioned about the regulative principle. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think part of this conversation, as you said, born out of scripture, but uh, born in some sense in a response to uh, the the kind of the cultural Christianity of our day. So we we've seen, especially post COVID, you know, COVID kind of forced us to evaluate and to examine our local churches uh, as we navigated what it was like to gather corporately. And we, we've talked about that several times on the on the podcast in the past, especially in the heat of when these things came about. Uh, but in particular, I think, I, I, I know we've had this conversation before, but just observing uh, other churches um, and how they've uh, maybe moved away from the historic practices of the church and, and what that regulative principle does is it pulls us back into that biblical foundation. And so, as you mentioned, Lance, like we talked about the expository preaching and how that's the foundation and uh, it's, it's absolutely necessary for corporate worship. And then you, you mentioned communion and baptism, because again, we're able to visibly see, that was one of my favorite episodes that we recorded, but we're able to visibly see the gospel uh, taking effect uh, because God has given us those signs uh, as a means by which we can be uh, encouraged and and to know what's happening spiritually within us. And so, um, so yeah, we, we've we've in all of these things we've talked about the word being central, uh, which I think is is so vital uh, and a great transition to where we're going tonight as we talk about. Uh, in part four of this call for biblical worship, we talk about praying the word. So in, in essence, tonight, this conversation is prayer as worship. Now, Lance, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but before we dive too deep, I, I want to at least make a cursory comment here and say that this yeah. is not meant to be an exhaustive treatment of prayer. Uh, and especially this is not meant to uh, specifically engage with the conversation regarding the spiritual discipline of prayer, personal prayer, private prayer, all of those types of things. So when we, th- I think a lot of times, I'm speaking more for myself, but I, I hope that others can understand what I'm saying here. When we think about prayer, most of the time we think of the spiritual discipline of praying privately or, or maybe within our families or, you know, maybe at a meal. Uh, but we're not talking about that tonight. We're, we're talking about corporate prayer. Uh, we're talking about prayer and corporate worship. So h- how would you kind of help us to think through this as we begin this conversation? Yeah, well, I, you know, I would sort of connect this to what we did last time we recorded with communion and baptism, because when we talked about uh, those ordinances, we didn't really talk about the individualistic nature or how it really relates to the individual believer. We just talked about the corporate aspect of it. So if I'm mm-hmm. tracking with you, that's basically what you, what you just said. We're not talking about the individual prayer life. We're not talking about that type of communion and worship with God, but instead we're, we're talking about the local church, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ right. coming together as one, as, as a unit, um, in, in a cohesive, unified way um, on Sunday mornings. Is, is that where you were going with that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I'm really glad that you talked about the unity. We're going to come back to that, talking about corporate prayer. Um, but I, I think as we as we get going in in this in this topic tonight, I think it's helpful to remember that prayer that's happening during a Sunday morning worship service 
is not just a transition between okay we've got some songs you know we're going to sing the word and then okay this morning we've got a baptism so let's pray uh, so that somebody can shuffle up to the baptistry and get all that stuff right and then like we'll pray when that's done so we can get the musicians back up there what you know what i'm saying like it's not just this this uh i heard one guy say before that it's like a baptist magic trick because everybody closes their eyes and look up and the stage is all different you know it's like it's not just this transition time like it's not like Ooh, how are we going to get from one thing to another? Um, and and as one who plans corporate worship, like I know what that temptation can be because you're like, oh, well, this needs to be orderly and that'll be kind of awkward. So let's shove a prayer in there. Uh, but it's more than that. It, it's corporate worship. Prayer itself is worship. And so I think <laughs> that that is, a, is an important reminder for us as we consider the elements of of worship you know we talked about singing the word and reading the word and preaching the word and seeing the word and we want to pray the word in the sense that it is it is intended to be worshipful and to lead others uh in the same way and so when we think about this man like the first thought i come that comes to my mind and, and by all means, take take this a different direction if you want to. But the first thought I think of when I think about corporate worship and prayer is pastoral prayer. So help help me think through that. Maybe that's a new term for for some listeners. Uh, maybe maybe you never heard. Even if you've experienced it, maybe you don't know what that necessarily is. So what, what do you think of with pastoral prayer, and how does that relate to? Um, the conversation that we're having regarding prayers, worship. Yeah, well, we we talked about this the other night off the mics, of course. But you know, we're talking about those who are elder qualified, according to First Timothy three, Titus chapter one. Um, the elder qualified pastor that will come up in front of the entire congregation and lead. Um, I don't know if necessarily govern would be the right word to say. I mean, that may be sort of synonymous with lead, but oversee and conduct um, the brothers and sisters in Christ at that local church in a, in, in a what we would call a pastoral prayer. Um, mm-hmm. that, that could be born out of a scripture reading, like at Countryside, our pastoral prayer is specifically tied to a scripture reading. So, you know, Pastor Tom may get up and read from Psalm 90 and then pray through Psalm 90, or he may read from Philippians mm-hmm. chapter. I mean, it doesn't matter any portion of Scripture ultimately, but it, it's where the senior pastor, uh, someone on pastoral staff, the elder, uh, they get up and, and they're essentially leading everybody in this prayer. And the congregants, the people in the pew, are supposed to pray along with the pastor and, and affirm what he is saying and, and lift that same prayer essentially up to God. Yeah, I, that's really helpful. Really glad you said that. And uh, let, me, let me just let me try to fill in what I think you were implying here. And that is that when we talk about pastoral prayer, in one sense— the pastor, the elder, the the biblically qualified individual is representing the church and praying on behalf of the congregation as a whole, right? So it's not just like, okay, for the next three minutes, we're all going to like bow silently and pray and nobody says anything out loud, and everybody, but it, it, it's a way in which there's unity and a unification and a corporate uh, essence in in this type of, type of prayer so that the pastor leads in worship 
uh, you, you use that word leading. So he's leading in worship by ascribing, uh, you know, glory and worth and adoration and praise and all of those things and thanksgiving to God. And he's interceding for the church and petitioning on behalf of the church. Uh, he, he's doing those things as a, a single representative of the whole and the congregation thereby then affirms and agrees and participates though silently, uh, they, they are still being represented and included in that time of prayer. Is that, am I, am I filling in exactly what you were implying there? Of course. I mean, that, that's the difference between uh, pastoral assistant and uh, Dr. <laughs> TJ. <Stop>. Dar- <laughs> Yeah, by the Stop way, that. man, we haven't recorded, you know, you know, have, have we recorded since the the official um uh I yeah, I, I think can't so remember, I, I graduated dude. in May. I don't remember Did if we, we addressed that? it or not, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Man. Seems like an unimportant detail. Gosh. That's another episode. We we're <laughs> yeah, going to need we'll a whole back. season <laughs> to catch up, man. <laughs> Yeah, we got we got a lot of you know got a lot of rust to knock off. So, uh, oh, okay, I want to I want to ask you a question. So, I, I'm tracking with you. We've we've got this time of of prayer. Uh, typically, we'll we'll come back to this question, but we would say led by elders, led by pastors who are uh, biblically qualified and shepherding a congregation, and they stand before the congregation leading in corporate prayer, but. Do they pray? Well, what's the content of those prayers? So, like, is every week the exact same? Uh, you know, you you mentioned your pastor stands up and he prays. You know, Tom prays, you know, from Psalm ninety or Philippians one or whatever else. But like, is it essentially the exact same thing every week? Um, what what what's what does that look like uh, in terms of the actual content of those types of prayers? Yeah, as far as like the template and the model, it should be every week. So, in I guess in 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 one sense, it is um, repetitive in nature, and that it should happen every Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. But you're you're more concerned about uh, the actual content of that prayer. Well, I mean, I would I would argue that different categories would be hit frequently. And I think we're going to work through some of those categories. Okay. But, mm-hmm. um, th- th- there's a variety to, uh, this pastoral prayer. Um, of course, Jesus, Jesus warns against, uh, the repetitious nature of prayer, you know, um, uh, you know, using the same words, the same language, the same, um, you know, really moving the same type of direction every time you pray. Jesus warns about those uh, empty words, you know, just saying things mm-hmm. to be saying things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would affirm and agree that uh, there is diversity in the prayer um, from week to week based on what you are praying about. So, again, you could open up a Psalm 23 and, and a Psalm 1. That prayer is going to look different than... Uh, maybe a Romans nine or or, or a Romans mm-hmm. ten. So, I, I think there's also some wisdom in selecting your scripture readings and varying those readings because then that will then take the prayers in, in different ways and shapes and forms. Yeah, that's man, that's really good in the sense that okay, every week there is going to be um, there are going to be staples right in, in prayer, just like in every sermon. There's going to be like there's going to be 
reference to Christ. There's going to be biblical, uh, the biblical gospel being presented, uh, whether you're preaching from the Old Testament, from wisdom literature or New Testament epistle or apocalyptic literature, whatever else. Like it's all, there's all going to be certain elements that are always going to be there. And yet there are different types of prayers. There's different emphases that can be had. And so um, I, I say that because pastoral prayer and again, some of this is going to overlap, but I do want to talk mm-hmm. about this uh, separately. But pastoral prayer uh, is a wonderful time and an opportunity whereby the elders are instructing and leading and, and kind of uh, molding a worship service toward a particular uh, for for a particular purpose. So there are times when if, if there are times when when pastoral prayer ought to be highly focused on an adoration of who God is mm-hmm. like just a magnitude of God. And, and we don't want to just like gloss over that in order to sprint to the petition. Uh, we, we don't want to just run by his, who God is and just overlook the reality that we are calling upon the creator of heaven and earth. Like there's adoration to be had whenever mm-hmm. we pray. And there are times we just need to dwell there and just say, God, you are God and just adore and ascribe worth and glory and, and all of those things. And that in and of itself is the focus of the prayer. Now there, there may be other elements in in play. You know, you may have uh, a focus on Thanksgiving or confession or supplication, whatever else, but, but there are times whenever adoration must be central, but if that's all you ever, if that's all, if every prayer is just, Oh God, you are so amazing and great. You're you're missing components. You're missing aspects of prayer that become weaker if that's all you ever do. So there are times when okay, we're we're going to focus on the adoration this morning. Uh, whereas next week we we may need to be very open with confession because as a church we've recognized hey we've got some division or we've got some uh, we've got something that we have to deal with or or maybe just more generically we are just sinful. And so, um, so I say that to say that pastoral prayer week to week will in some sense be different. I mean, excuse me, in some sense would be the same. And yet week to week, the types of prayers that can be emphasized uh, allow for there to be tremendous variety and depth and growth uh, from a week to week basis. So um, anyway, that was my, that was my thought on that. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, uh, the apostle Paul's approach to preaching and teaching. He he would preach and teach the whole counsel of God, you know? Right. So if preaching week in and week out, it, it, the, there are definitely templates that you would roll by, but there's so much variety in it. it it's the same with mm-hmm. prayer. You, you essentially want to pray the whole counsel of God. If you know, I could make that compare in, in that sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If, if, if all, if your prayer, if your prayer is always for, focused on, God's holiness, then you're 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 missing elements of His grace and His mercy. And yet, if all you ever talk about is His mercy and His grace, then you, you're missing the reality that God is holy. And you got to have both. and And that could be said for all kinds of other things. You know, we could talk about His tremendous benevolence and also His wisdom and withholding things from us at times. Like there can be all types of different focuses and emphases in those types of prayers. And it, it's it's important, as you you mentioned that parallel, to preach the whole counsel of God and to pray. Uh, the whole counsel of God. I, I love that. I think that's a, a great parallel there. Um, now, if, if there's anything else that we need to comment there uh, on the types of prayers, please uh, hop in. But 
with that having been said, I, I do think it's important that we ask at least ask the question: where Where do we get this precedent? Right, like we we recorded six months ago, so I don't remember if we made a case for this or not. So let's just say we didn't. Regulative principle: we talked about reading the word, singing the word, preaching the word, uh, the visible demonstration of the word, and praying the word. Um, but but do we see this actually taking place in Scripture? Do do we see corporate prayer, and do we see pastors uh, exhorting or encouraging congregations by? praying for them or praying pastorally the way that we've just described? Is there New Testament example or precedent of what we've just discussed? Yeah, absolutely. And man, I would I would probably take it back. I mean, we could do an Old Testament theology of mm-hmm. uh, corporate prayer. You know, if you look back at the book of Psalms, there are, at least, there are a handful of Psalms that are titled prayers. Uh, I mean, it's been said by guys like John Calvin, um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, R.C. Sproul, those guys have all argued that the book of Psalms is its uh, essentially a divine prayer book for God's people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can make that case from the Old Testament, but... Well, you've also got you've got Moses, you've got Daniel, you've got a lot. I mean, yeah, you 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 do have a lot of it in the Old Testament. Uh, you got Ezra Nehemiah, like you got a lot. That's that's a great point. Uh, so I skipped over that. No, no, uh, thanks for calling me back to it. But no, yeah, go back to but, the New Testament. But in the in the context of uh, of the local church, you know those those references that we could go back to there would just be sort of the larger uh, spectrum scope of things with just God's people in general. Um, uh, but when we're talking about corporate worship, yeah, the New Testament is filled uh, not only, I think, with explicit references like in Ephesians 5 and in Colossians 3, um, but, but you see this, you see a pattern develop in uh, the book of Acts, which, of course, would be the, you know, the first few decades of the church after uh, the ascension of Christ. Uh, this is just a pattern of of God's people, and it was established by the apostles. And you see subsequent generations uh, following suit. Yeah, you 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 mentioned the Book of Acts. You've got the list of I don't know half a dozen scripture references here uh, that we could just run through. I, I'm just going to mention just a couple of them. Acts chapter one, uh, verses twelve and following. You've got. Uh, the discussion about those in the upper room and all the apostles are there. And in verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. So the, the point being, hey, there's a gathering, a corporate gathering, an act of worship whereby these are coming together uh, as one and they're devoting themselves corporately to prayer. Uh, Acts chapter 2 uh, this is kind of the staple for the regulative principle. We've talked about Acts chapter 2, but Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, mm-hmm. the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So when they gathered together, those were the things, those were the staples whenever they came together. There, there's corporate prayer that's happening. Uh, we, we see it in Acts chapter 4. They cry out with one voice, Acts chapter 12, and Acts 13. Uh, Barnabas and Paul are sent off, and it says that after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So there's this this sense in which they corporately came together in order to send off a missionary and that they prayed together. And when Luke records these things, I, I, I'm guilty of this when I read, but like it's just so easy to just be like, oh yeah, they, they fasted, they prayed, and then they <laughs> sent them off. Well, the, the narrative is focused on the sending off, but 
don't miss the fact that when they came together, they prayed together. And so you've got corporate prayer that's happening. Uh, in other words, as we said at the beginning, this is not just, hey, all of these individual Christians prayed at home before they came. It was they came together and they prayed together as one. And so certainly you have that that example uh, throughout the book of Acts, um, you know, over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's interesting here in the book of Acts that this that this was the norm. Uh, th- this was uh, common activity. Uh, you know that that this wasn't um, you know once a month deal. Every every couple couple of months, you know, they would decide to get together in in one accord uh, to pray. Um, but we see through the timeline and the events that occur in the book of Acts that that God's people are repeatedly getting together uh, to do this. And even um, when you look at the lives of the apostles in the book of Acts, they're doing this in the midst of all of the persecution that they are facing. Mm. You know, so mm. circumstances don't even determine um, uh, determine, um, I guess, the frequency of prayer. Uh, well, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I'm really glad you said that because it made me think about this, that this is not just a, an apologetic or an argument for the fact that we should have like weekly prayer meetings and, you know, like 15, 20 people show up or like the pre-service prayer, like, okay, well they, they devote themselves. This is like the whole church. This is gathered together in unity. It's not like a little prayer group. Now, the prayer clubs and the, the 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 groups that come together that's all very very good i'm i'm all i'm pro those things okay don't hear me say i'm not what i'm saying is the example that we see in the book of acts is that we have the entire church gathered together for the purpose of worship and that when they came together the word was being proclaimed and they were partaking of the lord's supper together and they were listening to the to the preaching of the apostles, the word was being read out loud and they were devoting themselves corporately to prayer. And so you have this type of corporate aspect of, of, uh, unifying the church through prayer. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that we'll go here next that you not only have that, but you have the example of Paul in particular, giving pastoral prayers, not just like generic, like, okay, mindless or, or, or simple, like, Hey, let's pray for the food. Like he's really, he's praying with intentionality and purpose pastorally. Uh, any comments or thoughts on that? I mean, I, the, the, the book of Acts is, man, I mean, again, we could do a study on the book of Acts alone on, on this issue. And I, I think what's profound is, you know, when you go back to Acts chapter one, verse eight, and it talks about the gospel going forth to in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the gospel advancing, churches being planted, things of that nature. You know, as you go along in the book of Acts, and that's slowly being fulfilled, you know, by the time you get to Acts chapter 13, the gospel has gone out to Samaria. It has gone out to um, places beyond Jerusalem. But the places where the gospel has gone out, uh, they're still incorporating what was being infused and incorporated in the beginning, which would be this corporate element of of coming together for prayer. So you see this modeled already in the in the local church, and again, not just confined to one location, but you see this uh, multiplying uh, across uh, the ancient Near East. 
No, that's that's really good. And and I have to imagine that in each of those times, the example, as you mentioned, of the, the this this multiplication that it's starting from Jerusalem and working its way outward as the gospel is going and spreading, then you also have the example and the uh, expectation of pastoral prayer that goes with it, which is why I think when you see those examples in Paul's letters, so you've got uh, Philippians 1, I preached on that uh, last year. Um, I think I preached like four sermons through uh, his chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and it felt like I just skimmed the surface. Like, like There's just so much depth, man. Like like this prayer that he has for uh, the, the people there in Philippi, he does the same type of thing in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, of course, he does it in, in Colossians and 1 Corinthians and First and Second Thessalonians. He, he's talking about how he constantly remembers them in his prayers, and he's talking about the the point of, of praying pastorally for his people. Uh, but those particular examples I'm thinking of there in Philippians and Ephesians, uh, you, you also mentioned here Colossians. Like those are they're just rich prayers that he has for the congregation, for the church as a whole, and, and I think it gives a, a, a good template or an idea of what. A pastoral prayer looks like. Yeah, I would I would add one to the list that you just provided there in 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 First Timothy. If you remember, I mean, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, pastoral epistles, uh, typically referred to as well. In First Timothy chapter three, uh, verses fourteen and fifteen, remember Timothy or Paul says that he's writing to Timothy, so he uh, should know how he ought to conduct himself in the household of God, right? Mm. Well, back in right. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul uh, makes an exhortation for there to be supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks to be made for all men. So in the context of, of, of Paul's letter here, Timothy, here's how you need to conduct yourself in the church. And, and one of those elements, uh, like we're making a case for here, uh, w- would be corporate prayer. Yeah, that's man, that's so good. That's exactly right. Now... That being said, that's a good transition here. So Paul tells Timothy, you, you mentioned First Timothy chapter two. We have this uh, th- this call right to pray for all people, and that he has this expectation. This is how you're to conduct yourself in the household of God. What 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 good is it? Like <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just I'm just being I'm just asking the question because because if I'm I, I'm trying to put myself in the in the listener's shoes, so. Maybe I'm new to Christianity. Maybe I'm new to like a a robust understanding of, of theology and doctrine. Maybe I've been a churchgoer my whole life, and what I get out of church is singing songs that I really enjoy. Which we we, we want to come back and talk about singing the word, uh, hopefully in a future episode here shortly. Uh, and, and I also really enjoy if a, if a preacher can get up and and explain the Bible to me. But but this prayer business, like honestly, I'm not really sure what it does other than transition. So it, it helped me understand. Let's let's talk about what are the purposes. What 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 benefits are there to corporate prayer? Man, I keep laughing at the transitions because I grew up in man, you know, these Baptist churches where they were legit used for transitions. And as a little kid, man, I'd time. just be peeking like, like what's going on <laughs> up here, man. <laughs> a confession time on the mic. Confession. Anytime I visit a church, because I'm in pastoral ministry now. I, I've got to get better at this, but when I visit churches, 
I always look to see what's going on because I'm trying to learn. I'm like, okay, what do they do that maybe I don't think about? Or how do they, how do they maneuver or transition like from one corporate, uh, from one aspect of corporate worship to another? So I totally get that. I, yeah, I, yeah. No, I, I just, just got to know what's going on right now. Well, again, as we've been making this case for a biblical call, uh, biblical call to worship, there, there is a, a unification. There's a communal, there is a, uh, I, I guess to use a sports analogy, there you know, there's there's a team. It's a coming together of God's people to all join collectively together uh, to do these different elements uh, of worship. So when we talk about singing, um, and, and we'll save some of this for the next episode, it's all of God's people singing the same God, thinking the same things, praising and worshiping God in unison. Same would be for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. You've got someone that's expositing a text. You've got everybody listening together, being sanctified together, praising and worshiping God together. The, the same would be true of, of prayer. You've got a unifying aspect going as, as one person leads, and everybody essentially is, I guess, you know, is spiritually linking arms, I guess you could say. Mm. Um, yeah, and everybody's coming together to affirm what is, what is being said to, to amen it, I guess you could say, you know, in, yeah. in a, in a silent way. That's great. Hey, since, since you mentioned unity, why don't you read that quote from Dever we got there on the guide? Can you, can you, I don't want to take, I don't want to take your thunder on unity because that's so good. Yeah, man. Well, Mark Dever, um, he says corporate prayer is a wonderful acting out of the ontological unity that we have spiritually as we literally speak with one voice to God. Gosh, yes, like that's that's exactly what it does. It 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 takes it it makes visible the spiritual reality of our unity by having one voice speaking on behalf of everyone else. And as you said, the congregation is there to amen, to affirm, to agree, uh, to unite around uh, the, not the messenger, but the message is being, uh, you know, offered forth to God uh, in form, in the form of that prayer. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, corporate prayer gives us unity in the spirit as the body of Christ. Uh, I, I think in addition you also have the the time of prayer aligns our hearts to focus for corporate worship. So it is a, a, an element or a, a part of corporate worship, but it also helps to slow us down. Um, when, when I pray personally, I, I am often convicted of like having 2,000 things going on in my mind. And to pray is to stop those things and to submit myself to the almighty and to say, I'm not God, you are. And so all the things that I want to have control over, I'm submitting them to God. I'm trusting uh, God in uh, those different areas and and to corporately uh, admit those things and to, to put my mind and wrap my, my attention around the reason why I'm there. Because the reality is, man, like you and I are in pastoral ministry. So we maybe sometimes have a different perspective on Sunday morning, but a lot of times Sunday mornings people are coming in like with the kids screaming and they're worried about how they're going to handle stuff going on this week. You know, like I I don't deal with that same type of stuff on a Sunday morning because I'm thinking about other things, but a lot of people come in distracted and corporate worship uh, or corporate prayer as worship helps get our hearts and minds where they need to be 
um, in the sense that we can then hear from God's word. And so it, it's, it's a it's a sense, and in some sense, it's a, it's a time of preparation as well. So not only is it this demonstration of unity, but it, it aligns our hearts for worship uh, uh, corporately. Yeah, absolutely. And and then and then next, practically speaking, it, it teaches others. Uh, it teaches your congregation. It, it teaches everybody in that local church uh, how how to pray. I mean, it's essen- essentially you exhibit how to pray biblically, but then that provides mm-hmm. a pattern for how uh, people should follow suit. In, in other words, they're not necessarily trying to emulate you um, uh, to pray like you, like T.J. Darty would pray, but. Uh, really the, the principles or, or the or the template or the way in which you model uh, the scriptures in which you pray that, that, that is that's being taught to your people therefore really by default um, if, if they take this time seriously they, they actually become better prayers I, I guess mm-hmm. you could say yes that's, I mean it's the same principle as expository preaching like you show somebody how to walk through a text biblically week after week after week. So the pastor opens the text, reads the text, explains the text, and, and does so sequentially. And in doing so, he, he's teaching his congregation how to read the Bible. He, he's showing them this is how an argument unfolds. This is what Paul is doing here. This is what Moses is writing here, whatever else. And he's modeling that for his people week in and week out. And the same thing happens in prayer. He models uh, praying uh, for the congregation. So yes, it it provides an example of how to pray. And and I would say related to that, you mentioned teaching, and this is going to lead us into a question here in just a minute about who should actually do this. But in addition to modeling or teaching how to pray, it also provides an opportunity to teach theology and doctrine uh, our prayers, like if you look at Paul's prayers in, in those introductory texts and those those letters that we mentioned earlier, man, they're not fluff. Like like there's real theology uh, embedded in prayer, and, and we we certainly communicate something theological when we pray. We, we communicate something about who God is and how we perceive him. We communicate how we come to him. Is, is he a loving God? Is he a sovereign God? Uh, we, we communicate those things in how we pray and the manner in which we approach God and as we uh, pray scripture uh, to God. And so it's an opportunity to teach theology, doctrine, worldview. Um, I, I, I will often use pastoral prayer as an opportunity to, to say things that maybe uh, don't naturally organically come up in the text, but which are so vitally important for, for Christians to, uh, to apply to our lives. And the, and the, the, the corporate prayer, uh, pastoral prayer gives an avenue to, to teach doctrine and theology in that way. Um, so it's always providing an opportunity to teach and to teach well, um, you know, in preparation for this, uh, I came across uh, a, a little anecdote about uh, New England Puritan, uh, I believe he was 17th century uh, um, Puritan by the name of Cotton Mather up in the Northeast. Um, and if, if you're not familiar uh, with Cotton Mather, he's an interesting, fascinating figure in history. There's plenty of stuff out there on him. Um, son of Increase Mather. Uh, but he would, I, I think I have the order, right? I think increase yeah. was the father yeah uh right so okay uh but but cotton mather was was known for his commitment to prayer both personally and pastorally and i i read that oftentimes he would pray 
30, 60 minutes, somewhere in there. That was his pastoral prayer every Sunday. And then he would preach like 75, 90 minute sermons every week. Like that's just, I mean, he just poured it out. And there was one time I, I haven't been able to track down the validity of this statement, so I can't cite it. I'm still working on this, but I, I came across something that said that one time he had to apologize to his congregation because he, he his pastoral prayer was two hours. And then he went on to preach a 90 minute sermon. <laughs> so, so I'm not necessarily advocating for that. Okay. But I am saying that pastoral prayer does provide a means by which the pastor is able to instruct, provided the congregation stays awake, able to instruct and teach uh, doctrine, theology, and provide that example for his congregation. Yeah, one one of uh, to to bounce off what you've been saying there about theology and doctrine. One of the first books that I read uh, when I became a Christian uh, over a decade ago now was by A. W. Pink called A Fervent Guide to Prayer. And um, uh, it was about a 200-page book, I think. Um, I actually need to revisit it because it, it, I didn't really know anything about praying and praying biblically, you know, and I, this book really helped, but it just walked through um, New Testament prayers, but making uh, the point that they were so theologically rich and doctrinally deep, um, which... I mean that doesn't that that's not saying that you have to be uh, an academic or a seminarian to be able to pray to God, but but the point the point stands is that theology and doctrine matter, um, and, and they even matter in uh, prayer, corporate prayer. Well, that that leads me to we're, we're we're kind of coming to the tail end of this conversation, but couple of questions that I think would be helpful to think about. The first one, we, we've alluded to this already. We've, we've talked about this separately off the mic. So I know that we agree here, but let me just ask this question. Who, who should lead in corporate prayer? In other words, is this time of corporate prayer, is, is it to be restricted to those who serve as elders of the congregation alone, or can it be delegated, I would say, than to other just, you know, lay persons or whatever else who, who maybe don't hold any kind of pastoral or, or shepherding role within the congregation? How, how would how would we answer that question and, and why? Yeah, um, I, I would say normally. The, the yeah. normal pattern would be for um, those that meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 that we've already mentioned, elder qualified, um, that those who are elder qualified need to uh, assume the role of leading in, in, in corporate prayer for, for a number of reasons. But just since we just touched on it, because there, 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 there is instruction, there is teaching, there is... Um, I guess um, some exercising of authority that, that's taking place in, in this pastoral prayer, uh, in, in that, that, that leadership role. So I think because that teaching element is there, although it's done by prayer, I, I think because that teaching and instruction element is there, that it, it should be limited to those who meet those qualifications. Now, I, I said that that's the normal pattern, of course, I think there could be um, circumstances where 
that might not be met. So I don't know if I'm opening up a can of worms here, but I, I, I'm mainly thinking of like a, a small church plant or, or situations where um, elder uh, roles uh, haven't been necessarily identified um, in, in that sense. Are you tracking with me on that? I'm Absolutely. I'm definitely saying that's in a, the the minority category that that should not be the normal pattern, but I, I don't want to rule out that there may be a time in a specific local church that would be in those kind of beginning startup planting phases where uh, there there just may not be that person. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Here, here's what I would say. You can you can tell me if you agree or disagree. To summarize what you what you would say there, I would say unless providentially prohibited by circumstances or by some other form of God's providence, um, whereby there are not a multitude of qualified men who are available to lead in the corporate pastoral prayer for a particular morning, barring those situations, the normal pattern should be so far as you are able to have the elders yep. lead for, for that time of corporate prayer. Now I, I would, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Here's, here's another observation I would, I would add to that. Let's say, let's say Lance Burroughs comes and preaches in the pulpit where I'm serving at a local church and we've got, you know, a dozen elders and we rotate the pastoral prayer, but you come and preach on a particular Sunday. Well, <clears throat> as you prepare to preach or as you read the text by all means you should you should pray uh and do in doing so as a means of, of pastoral prayer however i w- i would argue that for a specific purpose of instructing the congregation on prayer so so i'm not talking about like a, a prayer for the sermon necessarily, although that w- would be included, or a prayer for the text as you pray for yourself or for the congregation. But I'm talking about like the element of corporate pastoral prayer, that that should still be led by one of the elders there. Uh, and what I mean by that, why I say that is, <clears throat> and I think that D.A. Carson captures this well uh, whenever he wrote about Charles Spurgeon. And and Carson said that uh, th- that Spurgeon didn't mind sharing his pulpit, uh, that he he oftentimes he would even have people come preach even when he was there. So not even when he was traveling or, you know, ill or whatever else, he, he, even if he were there, he would have someone, he'd be willing to let someone come and preach. But when it came to that time of focused, intentional pastoral prayer, if he was there, he would step up and do it. Mm. And the reason was because it is pastoral. He's praying for his saints, for his congregation. So he's interceding for and representing that congregation. So Lance comes, we we would relish the opportunity to hear you bring the word, but you don't know the congregation the same way the elders who oversee and shepherd that congregation do. So those elders then would be a better representative of the congregation in that time of corporate unity. Does that, does that make sense? Any, any thoughts or, or feedback on that? No, that, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with, uh, everything that you presented there. Um, and, <laughs> uh, I love how you brought in Spurgeon and, uh, you know, his wisdom, wisdom on the whole issue. It, it's always encouraging to look back. You know, you think of Spurgeon as a guy that, you know, that, that, uh, 
the prince of preachers, man, the guy's a preacher, a preacher, a preacher, you know. But then when you come across a bit of church history like this, you know, it's interesting to see him implementing these other principles that we're talking about, you know. Yeah, so he was yeah, a man of yeah. the pulpit, but he was also a man of prayer, uh, corporately speaking. Okay, we're, we're we're running short on time. We didn't expect this to go this long. It was just oh, so good. Um, I got I got another question. We don't have to spend long on it, but I, I want I'd love to hear your thoughts. Should pastoral prayer? So I <laughs> I know congregations are going to differ on this. Not everybody has the same. Uh, you know, not everybody's going to be Cotton Mather praying for thirty to sixty minutes. You know, some some pastoral prayers are going to be somewhere. What, Tom's what five to seven minutes or something like that, and then average. Uh, yeah, pastoral I say, prayer. Yeah, I would say around the five minute mark. Yeah. So, you know, I know Capitol Hill, I've heard Dever talk about how he's 10 minutes. I've, I've not quite worked up to that length yet. Uh, you know, slowly training the congregation to be able to get there. But, but let's talk about like, just very briefly, regardless of, of the length of time, you, you have any thoughts on whether or not pastoral prayer should be spontaneous? Can they be written out? Should they be written out? Um, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good thought. I like what you said about uh, training the congregation. You know, if you <laughs> to go up in a pulpit day one and just hit them with a forty-five minute pastoral prayer, you know, right, is not going to go uh, well. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the wisest move. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent on on the training aspect. But you you were right on that. Uh, as far as written out prayers, spontaneous prayers, I don't think there's necessarily a hard and fast rule. I think it, mm-hmm. I think one, it, it would probably depend on the pastor himself, maybe how experienced yeah. is he, um, as far as leading a congregation in prayer. I mean, I would argue that, um, you know, no one's born just this gigantic prayer warrior that is just so eloquent on the first time. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's necessarily bad to write out your pastoral prayers. If while you're writing and composing that prayer, that there's deep heartfelt meaning behind it. So I, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that that is wrong and I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I actually think there could probably be some wisdom in doing that. And then, and then on the other hand, I think that spontaneous prayers are absolutely acceptable as well. Um, mm-hmm. Even for that pastor that initially started off writing out his prayers to soon grow and learn and become a veteran, I guess you could say, where yeah. he extemporaneously uh, is, mm. is able is able to pray. So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at on that, I think. Yeah, that's man. That's really well said. I, I was genuinely curious. We didn't have anything written down there. I just kind of threw that question out, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I affirm everything you said. Um, I have at times, depending on the particular emphasis or focus of my pastoral prayer, there have been times I've written written them out, and 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 I don't necessarily like read them like a manuscript, you know, like I'm right, trying to, right, like, right. you know, but, but like I, I will write Monotone out everyone to death. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm not just, I'm not reading the teleprompter, you know, like, but, but I'll have them written down. I, I think we've talked about this before. Like when I do pray, when I do uh weddings or funerals, like I always write those things out because I want to make sure I get names right or whatever. So I, I kind of got my, my uh, parameters or guardrails in place. And then as I'm pressed by the Holy spirit or, or as I'm, you know, in the moment praying because I'm comfortable praying as I've 
done this more and more, then I may kind of quote unquote go off script. You know, you, you, I think you understand what I mean by that. But but I think at times if if it's a very weighty matter or uh, there have been times uh, I, b- I believe when I preached on the Trinity, I had a, a particular pastoral prayer uh, that I, I wrote out because I wanted to be theologically precise in my language um, so as to be able to instruct and to be thoughtful and for it to be accurate without stumbling or, or trying to be dis- or, or potentially being distracting because I'm using the same verbiage or, or being unclear, or having to go back, you know, the way that you and I maybe uh, go back and forth on a, on a question on the mic, like, okay, I'm trying to collect my thoughts. That's a little bit different whenever you're leading corporate uh, prayer. So uh, I, I don't write out my prayers on Tuesday mornings before I start my day, but on a Sunday morning corporate worship time, I, I may write them out. And I, I think that you said it well, man, like it, it just depends on on the particular uh, pastor elder who's leading and, um, and the way in which that can be applied. So um, yeah, that, that, that's really good. Um, all right, man. We, we need to wrap. We need to wrap this conversation up. Let, let's let's go practical. What, how how are we gonna make this, you know, a take home application for for the listener who who maybe isn't a pastor, who's maybe not thinking about corporate planning a corporate worship service or something of that sort. How, how do we how do we maybe move this into the realm of of applying what we've talked about uh, for the average person on Sunday morning? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the same way that you would actively be engaged and actively be involved in singing and participating mm, good. Um, in, in that manner that, that that needs to be carried over into your active involvement in, in corporate prayer. Now we're going to talk about singing on the next episode um, and I, I, well actually I'm just going to save that because <laughs> Okay. There, there's right. a good discussion um, that needs to take place when it, when it, when it comes to singing uh, unto the Lord. So, anyways, tune in six months from now if you want to hear yeah, that yeah. incredible nugget. So, yeah, summer summer 22. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, next yeah, episode but, uh, set to release. Yeah, but back to the just the practicality of it all. There has to be engagement. You're engaging with people on church campus. You're in, in, engaging with everybody, singing unto the Lord. You're engaging, sitting and listening to God's word be preached. The same would be true in prayer. You are supposed to be actively involved in that. Although you aren't audibly saying it, you should be listening to those words, and you ought to be affirming those things and offering that same prayer to God. So, I mean, it's it's this active participation here. There's no idleness. There's no sitting this one out. uh, None of that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really important. And the parallel, again, as you mentioned, uh, to, to singing, which we'll come to next episode, uh, I think is a, is a, a very good one. Uh, and I would, I would add, too, just like how easy it is to check out, get distracted. Um, you know, I mean, just if I'm honest, man, like I know there are people who do this because I've seen it uh, and I've probably done it. That okay, it's time to pray. Everybody, I, you know, I'm gonna check my phone. I, I got, a, I got an email. I got, you know, a text. I'm, ch- I'm waiting on my wife. You know, she's running late. Make sure, and, and just like totally use that time to disengage from corporate worship. And, and it's really easy to to just separate yourself from that as if you were not actually part of it. And and really, it, it's no different than any other element because when there's a call to worship, like you have corporate worship happening there, 
there, there's unity happening. We've already talked about all this. And so you do have a role to play and it's not time to check out. It's not time to, you know, look at, uh, you know, what the traffic situation is like or, or try to get a uh, lunch reservation as like, it, it's time, man, like it's time to be focused and to be intentional. And those other things can wait. Uh, and so, uh, being distracted, being disengaged, being, uh, kind of, uh, you know, just, just not being part of what's happening there. It, it's a real temptation. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think for the average person who, who's maybe not leading corporate prayer, uh, there's still a call to participate and, and there's a call to uh, to understand and to notice what's going on and and really to be engaged in such a way that they can identify and understand what is being prayed and to ensure that they can agree with it. Uh, perhaps there may be something said that you may, hey, I, I might have issue with that. I may need to go back and clarify with the pastor after the service or, you know, hey, what do you mean when you said this? Because I, I was listening closely. I caught that or whatever else. So I do think that there's an expectation there for us to to be engaged and to uh, to ensure that we can indeed give our amen to what's being prayed. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's a good word. Appreciate you saying those things. Well, I think that uh, leads us into the initiative. Um, the first one here in the winter of 2021. Um, yeah, I, I would just say to kind of, you know, put a bow on everything, wrap everything up. No pun intended for the holiday schedule there. Um, but Psalm 34, 17 says that the, the righteous cry and the Lord hears. So we're, we're talking about all of this praying corporately, you know, but the reality of it is when we do that, the, the God of the universe actually hears his people. So as the pastor mm. is leading, the pastor is praying, God hears as the people in the congregation, as brothers and sisters of Christ are actively uh, participating and affirming what is being said and offering up their prayer as well. Our God hears. And and, and that's, that's the beauty of prayer. It's a, uh, Praise God. It's being able to commune with the one true God. Hey, man, that's a good word. I wish I had gone first. Uh, I didn't know you were going to drop that on me, but uh, I, I think I think where my mind has been as we've thought about this and prepped this episode and then had this conversation is that prayer itself, corporate prayer, is worship. Uh, it's not a transition. It's not something that gets us from worship point A to worship point B. It, it itself is worship. And that word worship means to ascribe worth, uh, to, to give worth to someone. And so when we worship God through prayer, we are in essence saying, you are God mm-hmm. and we are not. Mm-hmm. And so corporately we, we gather together and, and I think it's easy to miss this, but when we pray, I mean, what are we doing other than submitting and acknowledging that God is supreme? And so we bow our heads and we close our eyes. We're, we're not just like in reverence or off or, you know, somebody who may or may not be like, God is the, the sovereign one. He, he is the almighty. And mm-hmm. we pray and submit to him as an act of worship. It's a means by which we declare we are insufficient, but you are wholly sufficient. And, uh, and I think that there's uh, a means by which we need to capture that essence and capture that awe that we can, as you said, he's a God who hears, uh, but he's an almighty God. And that uh, prayer, uh, it, it speaks that, it says that uh, by the very act itself. And so, uh, man, engage in that pastoral prayer, uh, corporate prayer, weekly basis when you when it's time to pray uh, it's time 
uh, to acknowledge that God is God. We are back. Yes. Let's go, man. Man, feels good. So that being said, maybe you've made it this far in the episode and you've just discovered this podcast. Maybe a friend told you about it because we had this hiatus and whatever else. But maybe you're not doing so. You need to subscribe. Make sure you don't know when the next episode is going to pop up. It might be next week. It might be six months from now. But you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, all our social media pages. We're on uh, Facebook at Reformed Informants. We're on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find all of that information. Check uh, all of our previous episodes, catch up on things, and even access some gear for the holidays. You can find all that stuff on www.themagistiesmen.com slash reformed If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.